Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans, college sports fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with yet another Tim May show. And joining me, sitting in the cockpit, man, with me, my co-pilot, Andy Backstrom. Andy Backstrom, welcome back to the Tim May show, my man. It's good to be here, Tim. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and you know to sit still over there in that uh, co-pilot seat until I tell you to do something, right? I mean, that's the that's the way it operates on the Tim May show. I might have you do a little singing and dancing later since it is a show now, not a podcast, uh, but I digress. Uh, bottom line is the reason I've got you on is we're going to talk a little bit more. No, it's ad nauseum anymore. We're going to talk about the transfer portal and not just how is it affected Ohio state football for the coming season, uh, but how it, it might still affect them even more if they get one or two other guys. We'll see how that goes. But uh but mainly, uh, also reason I want you on too is, you know, you've become our guru at LettermanRoad.com and on 3com on Ohio State basketball, and uh, obviously Ohio State has been active once again in the transfer portal. Uh, this, I guess, it's the off season, right? It seems like things never, never, never end. But uh, getting three new players that just like they did a year ago, Chris Holtman picking up three new players. We're going to get into that in a little while, but uh, <clears throat> my special guest this week, it's a an encore performance, at least by me, because I wanted to hear him again. Uh, Pat Chun, the athletic director at the Washington State University, uh, formerly at Ohio State as a, an associate and uh, assistant athletic director before he moved to Florida Atlantic, and then on to uh, Washington State as the uh, athletic directors. Uh, just get his take. I mean, he appeared before a a uh, uh, House subcommittee hearing uh, 
uh, about a month ago, month or so ago, just before the Final Four, just talking about what's going on and what's not going on in the name, image, and likeness transfer portal perfect storm and how it is wreaking havoc uh, in the NCAA and will the NCAA survive? And, and Andy, we're, you know, we talk about that all the time, don't we? Oh, absolutely. It's just becoming one perfect storm. I feel like with everything going on with NIL, the transfer portal, and then everyone trying to navigate roster management across both sports, dealing with the scholarship limit, which of course was kind of changed with COVID. And then since that COVID waiver has no longer really been in play in terms of having, you know, not have to worry about it with the scholarship limit. Now you do. And it's which players still have that year, which players don't. And they're grandfathering it out, but it's still in play. Yeah. You're grandfathering it out. I don't even know how they do the numbers. I mean, they've got, uh, they got some interesting accountants at all these big time schools anymore of who's coming, who's going, uh, who you're shoving out, who did you not want to see leave, uh, who do you wish you could get in the portal, all kinds of stuff going on from a dynamic standpoint. I don't know how head coaches are doing it, but of course, head coaches in a lot of places are driving it, you know, um, Coach Prime, uh, Neon Dion, Dion Sanders at the, the new head coach at Colorado football. So, hey, we'll get into that in a minute. We're not going to get deep into like what's been going on. I want to, I want you to explain uh, when we come back from our conversation with Pat Chun, you know, after we talk a little bit about Ohio State football's uh, improvement, did it improve with the transfer portal? Uh, has, has it helped it, itself going into the uh, 2023 season, but mainly uh, Ohio State men's basketball, which it sometimes gets short tripped on this program. But uh, I want you to explain, you know, did Chris Holtman win in this transfer portal? Uh, this year it looked like he won a year ago but man January and February sure didn't look like it they didn't even win in January and February or did they win maybe one win yeah. one win in 15 games that's unbelievable but I digress let's get to my conversation with my longtime. Uh, I call him a friend because he is a really stand-up dude always has been uh, and, and even when dealing with the media man I could tell you all kinds of stories about Pat Chun, but I'll let him tell a few. Let's get to my conversation with Pat Chun, athletic director at the Washington State University. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, of course, you know, when I say a guy's going to be on my show, that means I probably already recorded it. But uh, Pat Chun, athletic director, the Washington State University, welcome to the Tim May Show. Tim, always a pleasure to see you. Surprised in May, you're not on the golf course right now, so I appreciate you making this time for me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm not on the golf course or I'm not in Indianapolis, you know. But uh, true. The month, that's of, that's true. The that's month of May in Indianapolis has been squeezed down to two weeks, so I don't think it's the fortnight of Indianapolis. <laughs> but uh, uh, but anyway, let's get right right to the point here, man. I mean, you've been athletic director at Washington State since when? 2018. Time and uh, you and. You've been on this. You've been on this Tim May show. You've been on this Tim May show so long ago. It was the Tim May podcast, yeah. uh, is what it was known as. But now we're in. Now we're in. Uh, in my mind, we're in syndication. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, you've seen a lot of things change from the you know dealing with the COVID situation as you and I talked about way back when uh, to uh, now NIL and shoot. I looked up the other day. What was a month and a half, two months ago? And there you are. Actually, it was a little over a month ago. And there you are testifying in front of a House subcommittee. What what House subcommittee was that? It was the uh, Energy and Commerce Committee. And uh, to my understanding, now I'm not a lawyer or politician or anything like that, 
but because state, because um, what the ask is for or the plea crosses state lines is why um, that commit that that follows under the uh, purview of that committee. So if 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 a bill were to start or action were to start on the House side, it would start out of that out of that committee. And fortunately for us, there are members of the House that um, are really keen in on what the national issues with NIL are and. They wanted to at least uh, have a process at least begin in which they wanted to uh, talk to some parties that were affected uh, by NIL. It's a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm doing? Oh, I'm holding my breath. I know. I know. It's, it's dude, a it's dude, a the, issue, the issue of play failed on this, you know, as you well know, uh, getting of state, even not even getting ahead of just grabbing the rope is uh, on the truck as it went by uh, thinking there was going to be federal legislation or guidelines put of some sort way back when, and uh, well over two years ago, before the, all these states got antsy, you know, and decided to make their own rules. And a lot of them aren't even the same rules from one state to the next. Speaking of interstate commerce, yeah. uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, but the bottom line is, do you think do you think there's finally going to be federal legislation? or rules of some sort put in place, uh, Pat, uh, sooner rather than later? Well, I, I would, I mean, hope is not a great strategy, but the best way I can answer that is I hope. Um, I, I guess just in my read, now you're talking to someone who was on that NCAA Transformation Committee that studied um, all the forces of nature or many of the forces of nature that are really pulling at college athletics. Uh, I don't see how this is sustainable with 50 different states, with 50 different NIL laws, with the tampering, with the inducements, um, and how that works going forward. I don't know how um, the NCAA can stay together uh, because you're because this is where we're at is we are at a pay-for-play moment in college athletics. Yes. So if we're at a pay-for-play moment in college athletics, we might as well figure out a way to get to employment which ultimately um, implodes or explodes the college athletics model. The other challenge when you do that is I think everyone has to recognize if two leagues, a subset of schools out of five leagues, inevitably break off and do their own thing, the rest of division one, two, and three ultimately goes away. And I think wow. those are, I think people have to wrap their minds around what the stakes are at play. I think we all see where television dollars are going they're going to the highest branded schools. So, uh, and and what funds all the NCAA right now uh, is the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Uh, I know there's going to be changes as the market continues to change. I think there's there's obviously going to be more dollar value placed on the women's basketball tournament and probably softball and volleyball as we go down the line. But the reality is, is um, the challenges that are happening for these schools that are competing in these five leagues, plus a couple of a handful of other schools relative to really it's all the schools competing in FBS football and what's going on in, in our industry right now. It's in a place where I don't know. I mean, it, it is not in a sustainable place and we'll have to figure out a way to get to a sustainable place over the course of time. Yeah, man, there's all kinds of ways I can go. We've pulled up to a traffic circle right here as yeah. you, as you spoke, and there's all kinds of exits you can take, you know, and uh, you don't have three hours or three days you know, you got about 25 minutes here with me or maybe you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> but uh, but uh, number one, I don't even know how, I mean, you're sitting there at a school, Washington State, 
one of the smallest uh what uh stadiums i think in the country yeah. in, in fbs let's put it that way but number two you're part of yeah, the most, the most fiscally efficient athletic program in the country. Like exactly. Physically efficient athletic <laughs> program in the country. Uh, put that on y'all's masthead. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of uh, Gene Slaughter was the head coach at Capital University way back when. He he told me one preseason, because I used to cover those little schools back in the 70s, early 80s. And in a preseason story, he, he said, you know, Tim, we're, we're small this year, but we're slow. <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty funny. No, y'all aren't slow by any means, man, especially yeah. in 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 women's athletics. I mean, you know, and obviously football, y'all felt, you know, you you can you've held your y'all held your banner high. We got, we got the second longest bowl streak in our conference, which is a huge statement. That predates me. I mean, that's a more reflection of Mike Leach uh and what he what he, really the foundation he laid here and uh, my predecessor, Bill Moose. So uh, you know, we're an athletic program that that historically has had to punch above its weight. It's yeah. just that in, in this boxing arena that we're in right now, I mean, the, the, the weight classes are more disparate than ever with different rules uh, with, every, with, with, with every weight class. So that, that's just the challenge we're at in college athletics right now. Yeah. And folks, ladies, I mean, if, I, you know, if you didn't know before, if you didn't see Pat on this show before, or you didn't know who he was, I mean, I'm, I've known this guy for a very long time. Uh, he was worked in the sports information group. Uh, office at Ohio State way back when, up until, uh, what, the early 2000s, and you moved into administration and became a wig. And then, <laughs> then you became a big wig. Uh, you became the athletic director of Florida Atlantic. And uh, I'm trying to remember your your, your uh, Florida Atlantic. Yeah, Florida Atlantic. Then, Well, fortunately for me at Ohio State, it was learning from two of the best, and Andy Geiger and Gene Smith, and then uh, Gene kicking me out and taking the Florida Atlantic uh, athletic director job, which turned into uh, uh, this opportunity here at Washington State, but right. I, 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 you know, it's allowed me to to just have experiences in college athletics. At, you know, at the biggest, uh, you know, biggest budget in college athletics to a mid-major school to a, you know, to an FBS school at the the lower end of uh, of where the budget is. But my president always reminds me we're eight miles down the road from University of Idaho, and they look at us like we're a big big budget school. Yeah, just exactly. Everybody. My where, point where, is, where yeah, your yeah. experience goes from like what they call, you know, one of the castles on the hill, which yeah. is Ohio State, to Florida Atlantic, which was not in it, you know, not a power five school, to yeah. now Washington State, uh, a power five school in the Pac-12, or at least at least it used to be the Pac-12. I don't know what y'all are calling it. The, what are y'all calling it in a couple it's of still years? Still the Pac-12 today, so we'll see. We'll see when the dust settles what that number is, but I'm pretty confident we'll see at least the Pac part. So, but my point is, you have an appreciation. For the struggles of a of a non power five uh, program and then a power five program and then also the largesse of a of a, what you call the castle on the hill of what I call the castle on the hill a place like Ohio State and uh, how do you ever how are those things ever equated uh, number one Pat before we move into this can you ever really come up with a set of rules uh, that make sense to the castle on the hill and to the to the non-power five school well i don't know if it's a set of rules but i think it's a fundamental understanding of what the role of college athletics is now you're talking to the son of two immigrants from south korea that put a overwhelming value on education uh and and you're also talking to someone who's worked 25 plus years in higher education with the understanding that um the, you know the one thing in this country and it's undebatable that can that your highest uh, percentage chance of changing your socioeconomic status is through higher education. 
So I think one, it's understanding the value of education and also um, the services uh, and aid provided to student athletes by and large. And when you combine those two things, it, it produces this extraordinary opportunity for young people that, um, you know, different across all divisions of college athletics, but I think it's a half million student athletes across all three divisions uh, that get to be a part of college athletics. So, uh, but at this level, it, it's, I, there, there's challenges because of TV. There's, uh, there is more money in our system than ever. Uh, I think the last couple of years has been really focused on how can we do more for our student athletes, but also understand that in this college model, as awkward as it is, you have one or two sports, football and basketball, that subsidize the entire athletic department. We have to comply with Title IX. It's a law. So Title IX in, 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 in its simplest terms is equity uh, for men and women on your athletic programs and how it matches up with, with campus and how it matches up uh, within your athletic department. And those two, those, those two, those two principles and how we how our athletic departments are built really creates a lot of challenges because we could never be a conventional business unless we get help from Congress uh, on certain issues. Uh, but regardless, because of this NIL issue we have, because we're in a play for, pay for play uh, moment in college athletics, really necessitates the need if we're gonna preserve anything with this academic experience, because I'm one and, and I recognize where, where college athletics is today. I do not like a model in which our, our, a young person can have a bad game and get fired that Monday or be placed on waivers. Uh, in a pro model, and a professional model, you can trade. Uh, and that, that is so far away from the, from the academic experience. These are college ath athletes because of the college experience. And that college piece, as we all know, for those of us, many of us who went to college, I'm sure a bunch of your listeners went to The Ohio State University, uh, that college piece carries you for the rest of your career and the rest of your life. And it's understanding the importance of that and the primacy of education. So long-winded way of saying, you know, we're, we, you're right, we're in this, uh, this, this traffic circle right now. There are different spots. If you, if you, depending on where you turn off is where we're going to go. But the circle that we're in now is something where you're going to have to get off eventually because it, it's not effective for the Ohio states of the world. It's not effective for the Washington states of the world. And I know it's, it's probably not effective for the Florida Atlantic's of the world. Yeah, it's like the one, it's like the one at, uh, under the Arc de Triomphe or whatever they are, Piccadilly Circus or whatever, uh, you're in the middle of it and you can't, you can't get over to your exit yet. And, uh, so everybody keeps going, you know, and this whole idea, this pay for play thing, this is what's interesting is the NCAA waited so long, kick the can, as I keep saying down the road so far, they at least looked out and found out for a little while, somebody else to pay for the play. You know what I mean? Cause obviously NCAA schools aren't doing the pay for play. Um, that's coming from outside sources. And, uh, and that thus, thus what has, I don't know what do you want to call it formulated or, or the, 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 the uh, perfect storm of pay of NIL and transfer portal ha has just run them almost amok. Yeah. And then on top of that, you look at what, you know, boy, there's okay. Kind of, like I said, this traffic circle has got a million exits, just yeah. like what happened has happened in Colorado in the last four months, but especially in the last month after their spring game and, all these guys leaving for the transfer portal. And, you know, you get the idea that most of them were told, you know, that's where you ought to be going. And uh, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Cause it's, it's not, you're not dealing with contracts here. You're dealing, dealing with, with uh, uh, national uh, signing, uh, what, what's, what's national letters of intent. And uh, 
and scholarships. You're not even dealing with pay for play yet in a true sense, right? And well, you can see where this is going. Oh yeah, and you know, and it's in the spirit of what freedom of movement with the deregulation of transfers was to allow was to give young people the right to be able to pick another school without penalizing them with a year. Also understanding that the, the portal exists because there's still a roster full of young people left back that you, you still have to manage and you got to try to provide some stability. Yeah. But because of, because of the way NIL is, the way that the NCAA can't and won't enforce the inducements and the tampering piece, that's where it's become untenable and that's rooted all in NIL. And, you know, really the near term, the near term solution is one federal law that preempts everything that hopefully allows uh, transparency, hopefully allows disclosures, uh, and also, you know, hopefully formalizes a relationship between student athletes and universities. And if we can get at least that done, uh, I think it benefits our student athletes most because it gives them protections for their scholarships, uh, for, for all the services we provide them, gives them clarity on what their actual market value is, uh, also gives them clarity on what some of these agents are taking in commission as well. I, there are a lot of great NIL deals out there. There are a lot of really good agents out there that are providing opportunities, but we've all read about them. I mean, some of the horror stories are real horror stories, uh, what's going on out there. And, and those are things that ultimately that we, we need to try to fix and help. How come uh, you NCAA schools right now, though, can't just say, School A, you did this. I mean, say it out loud. You know what I mean? Say it out loud. Say it proud, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, say it in a crowd. Uh, school A, you do. You did this. We know you did this. NCAA, go get them. Well, I think there's two issues. I think I think the the cynic in me says, well, you know, that's been happening for a couple of years. It, it happened. It's been happening for a long time. Uh, and really nothing's, you know, the, the NCAA has, has proven that it can't enforce these rules. I think the other piece is that we're seeing in real time, I think the state of Oklahoma was the first one. They actually passed the state law for NIL in which the NIL, where the NCAA cannot penalize a school because yeah. of any NIL violation. So they're, they're, they're really like our industry is really stuck in a place and we're seeing more states copy those types of laws because at the end of the day, this all comes down to recruiting. And there's not one state. I mean, it shows you the power of college sports, shows the power of college football uh, within these states of, of the, and, and the importance of recruiting. And that's where, where these laws continue to devolve over time. So I think it, it, it's, it's the NCAA can't and there's more protections that won't allow them to. And that's, you know, another reason we need a federal law. Uh, Pat, it's, it's amazing because you recruit a player to come to your school. And, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody elsewhere, you know, there's a NIL inducement or whatever you want to call it that pops up and they're going to, but let's say you've recruited that guy to your school and now you got to keep recruiting him. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the upper echelon. And uh, at the same time, you've got to keep your eye on the portal because there may be somebody in the portal that can help you. Uh, I, I don't even know how coaches are dealing with this anymore. Our coaches in the administrative parts, you know, of these football and basketball programs. Uh, you know, you brought up Florida Atlantic in your testimony in front of that subcommittee. Uh, Florida Atlantic players, as was written about, uh, were basically being contacted while the NCAA tournament was going on, while they were having the, the time of their life. Yeah. They're, they're being basically, some are being contacted by, as uh, what Urban Meyer call them, third uncles, maybe not even third uncles, maybe even first uncles. Yeah. Uh, about... Uh, you know, it's 
the rules are pretty clear on that kind of stuff, but I, I haven't seen anything done about it yet. Yeah, I think that's a hard part. The rules are clear as mud because uh, because there's no enforcement. And then when yeah. there's no enforcement, you know, Florida Atlantic, unfortunately, has to go through that. But I'd also probably imagine all the schools are going um, we're going through that, that we're in the final four because basketball, I mean, both men's and women's basketball have, have become the most transient sports that we have. And yeah. really the unfortunate outcome, you know, I know we have a one-time transfer and I think the goal is to, to minimize waivers for anything beyond that. But I think, you know, numbers show in any, you know, whether you're an athlete or not, uh, the more times you transfer, the least likely you are to graduate. And that's where it goes back to, I mean, this academic piece is the differentiator for young people. And then in the focus, I mean, we've, you know, society, whatever, whatever, you know, for whatever reason, college education feels to be devalued right now. But yet I consider and tell you on our campus, man, tuition, cost of attendance, uh, Alston stipend, uh, athletic trainings, uh, strength and conditioning, nutrition, mental health support. I mean, the benefits and services we provide our student athletes compared to what the general student gets, it's night and day. And those are, these are some, I mean, the, the value you can get out of that to leave college for some of our students with the opportunity to have no debt is a significant game changer for your life. Yeah. And in many, in many cases, the facilities even oh, you, uh, you work out in and play are better than, than, than the pro versions, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. In a lot of, in a lot of situations, I just want to get to you real quick. Cause I, we don't have a lot of time left, uh, but I wanted to get to this, you know, this idea that um, I, I keep saying that the key word is eventually if you're going, if the NCAA or NCAA institutions are going to get a, a rope around this, the word that that everybody is against, but I understand it. I understand why they're against it, but it's the word contracts. And by contracts, I mean, my wife, by the way, benefited greatly from Title IX. She was a, a scholarship athlete at Ohio State in the late 70s, a high jumper for the for the uh, women's for the women's track and field damn it makes sense right but uh but the bottom line is uh uh there are there are clearly two sports on most campuses that generate money either by attendance or by their share of of contracts from the standpoint of tv contracts in those those within those conferences and it's football and men's basketball women's basketball in some in some places uh but why can't men's men's football and basketball be divorced from the rest of the situation because it is proven that they make money with their with their sports and those players then share in the largesse if that's the word you want to use the the profits and the other ones whose sports don't generate profits uh there would be a way to still fund them by still siphoning off some of the money you know what i mean from the from the from the ones that do why 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 couldn't that work? So I'm not in the. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the yeah. I'm the right senator from, uh, from Central <laughs> Ohio. Go ahead now. So I'm I'm not an attorney, but and I would advise you know maybe for your listeners to get a Title IX attorney on. But yeah. To my to my understanding, um, you know how how we manage you know our men's and women's sports and how most if not all FBS schools do is. The aggregate of what you do for your men's sport, you're supposed to do for your women's sport, and what you do for your women's sports, you're supposed to do for your men's sports. So at the end of the day, I can tell you this with 100% certainty, the inputs are the same. So let's just use men's and women's basketball because of your example. Um, you can't tell me on, on the, the campus that you're nearby in Columbus in the practice gym that's a couple hundred feet away from me 
that our men and women aren't equally putting the amount, amount, same amount of time, energy. I mean, our, our, our teams are on break right now, but typically on a Monday morning, if I walk in here at 745, I'll hear balls dribbling. And if I hear, if I stick my head into their practice gym, I'll see women and men shooting around on their own. So if the inputs are the same, and ultimately you're being compensated, you know, basically for um, how external people have negotiated for you. I don't know where the line is. I just know that on, on a campus that has to observe Title IX, we do the exact same thing, or we try to, uh, but we're obligated to legally for our men and our women, from uh, from equipment to medical services um, to uh, to uh, training table. Uh, to travel, uh, and you're you're gonna, and then now we're gonna say, but there's gonna be one exception, and that's gonna be for revenue share. I don't know if that works on a college campus because of Title IX. I could be wrong, but yeah. that 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 is to, that is my best understanding. Well, I, I think it would work. I mean, I think it could work on in the sense of you divorce the two, you divorce these two sports from the rest of the uh, group, and you show by your books that these two are making rep are making money. They are. Uh, I mean, that'd be, but, that'd but my be point, yeah, but the, but the key thing is there when you sign a kid, young man, or young, you know, young man, or maybe women's basketball could jump into there, but uh, you, you sign them to a contract, not a national letter of intent. And, and I know, and you know, in the thing, well, that means you can hire and fire them. Well, as we're seeing in this, in this NIL uh, transfer portal time, guys are getting fired, you know, for one of another way of putting it. And some guys are, are seeking better opportunities elsewhere, which is yeah. what businesses, business is about. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's bigger than the hiring firing. I think it's also there, there's, there, there are tax implications. I think yes. uh, that'll arise if you're getting a scholarship. Uh, but, I, but it just, it, it just, it's so counter you know, and I get it. I, I know that, you know, what's, what's happening around our industry. We're, we're just not in a great place right now as an industry. Um, but I, it just, the, the importance of that college education and that degree is paramount. And the reality is the, the more you stick it out at the school, the higher likelihood you are to graduate. And that's going to carry you on, carry on for you longer, that longer than your sport. will. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're off with like you and you can play into your <laughs> play well into decades. Uh, I mean, that, uh, other than that, you're, you, I mean, you, you, that degree matters. Hey, uh, last couple things. Uh, the California legislature, I know, was at least uh, began the process, eyeballing a process of yeah. doing what we were just talking about about the revenue sharing aspect of things, and uh, uh, so that's interesting. Real quick, uh, um, how is the PAC 12 doing as we speak? You've got two members leaving at the end of this coming uh, sports season. Uh, UCLA and USC are both moving to the Big Ten, which is going to be 16, the Big Ten of 16. Um, where would you put y'all's situation right now in the Pac-12 as far as the future goes? Well, nothing's changed since, I guess, it would have been June 30th, where you have 10 schools left, but 10 schools also committed to sticking this thing out. Um, I think it's been well documented. It, it's, you know, if you know, if, if USC and Houston, it's a big if, if they didn't leave, we'd be in the normal cycle right now for a TV renegotiation uh, to, for, for new deals or extending deals with ex existing partners. But nothing's really changed. I know in talking with our presidents or hearing from our presidents, I mean, all, all are committed to, to seeing this thing through. I think we're all comfortable, you know, from what I'm hearing is, um, you know, you know, when you look at the schools in the Pac-12, I mean, you have 
she, uh, the 10 schools remaining, you have, you know, global brands, you have uh, really great TV markets, heck, even little old Washington State, uh, uh, it, you know, consistently ranks in the middle of the pack relative for, for TV ratings, which says a lot about our conference and, and yep. our specifically. So, you know, when you, when you wrap it all together with the brands of the institutions, the TV ratings of the institutions, we provide a time slot that's needed for all the TV partners and on this West Coast window. So when you package all those things up together, I think, you know, there, there's a level of, uh, of uh, um, uh, there's an understanding that, hey, is, we'll stay together, see this thing through the finish line and hopefully, and then hit reset and trying to figure out what the long-term future for the league is. But I think there's also reality, the long-term health of college athletics is probably interwoven with the long-term health of the Pac-12. Well, when you were sitting across the table from like Martin Germain this time a year ago, or the USC, I uh, can't remember his name, the USC athletic director, Martin Germain at UCLA used to be at Ohio State, and then went to Boston College and now he's there. Uh, uh, didn't you have a sense of unity then? <laughs> you know where I'm going. I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of smoke out there. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, is do you do you just wake up every day and take it with a grain of salt that uh, the status quo is a status quo? I mean, how how do you deal with it, Pat, in, in your position? Well, I guess I guess I've been in this long enough to know that um, you, you can be surprised but never shocked. Um, and it's, yeah. it's there's been realignment going on since, you know, for the past 50 years, since the start of college athletics. So, um, you know, change is, change is constant in college athletics because of, you know, just because of societal changes, economic forces change. Uh, and, and ultimately right now, economic forces are pushing college athletics into a place beyond uncomfortable at this point. And solutions are needed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's at a place where we're asking Congress for help and, you know, we can debate all day if that's the right place to ask for help, but it, you know, at least it, it, it provides momentary solution if we can get there, but, but we shall see. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot more things going on in this country that need help. We recognize that. And, uh, but college athletics uh, is, it does have a place in this country uh, and we just got to figure out how, how to keep this thing in a, in a healthy direction. I mean, the bottom line is this, we'll figure it out um, one way or the other. Uh, but, but um, right now, the way we're at today, uh, this thing isn't sustainable with what we're currently doing. Yeah. Last question. Uh, when you've gotten together with your other athletic directors across, uh, across the power five, you know, waterfront, so to speak, or do you get the sense that some people in the room are rowing a boat in a totally opposite direction than others? I mean, is it, do you, do you have that sense about it? I mean, do you, do, do, I don't know. A lot of people think eventually there's going to be possibly two major conferences, the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference with who knows how many members, or there are going to be certain members of the Power Five that can sustain a certain model and will break away. You know, you know, be careful what you wish for is what I keep yeah. saying. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. But yeah. do, do, do you, is there any sense of unity in that regard of finding this solution to this thing, or at least figuring out a way to go with the flow. I think there, there's two, there's at least two parallel tracks here. One is everyone has to do what's best for their institution. So I think that that's clear. And that, yeah. and that, that has to be your priority because you owe it to your student athletes, your coaches, you know, your, your alumni to make sure that your institution is a priority. The second piece of it is understanding that the overall health of college athletics seems to be the best place for your institution, because when drastic changes that, are on the horizon happen, the challenges, if we think we're, if we think this is a challenge now with NIL, 
you know, I, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what the next phase looks like with either revenue sharing or with, with um, employment, because I just, it just, the, the, the problems there seem um, like a marathon compared to what we're dealing with now and where we're at now is not sustainable. Yeah. College has got to figure out a way. You guys have got to figure out a way, like you said, to, to let the modern things happen, but don't lose sight of why people show up, 100,000 people show up at Ohio Stadium with Ohio State gear on to yeah. cheer. Like I've told people a million times, you could put those same players in Columbus Crew Stadium with, uh, you know, wearing black and gold or something, you're not going to get the same turnout. You know, yeah. part of part of, part of of the attraction has to do with who you're playing for, the tradition, et cetera, like that. And, boy, if you lose that from college football, all you've got is triple-A NFL and the love yeah. the Buckeyes, Buckeye alumni have for Ohio State, and the love uh, our alumni have for Washington State here. It's the same thing. Yeah, uh, different scale and size, but uh, I, those Saturdays in 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 Giza Field at Martin Stadium, um, at, right here in Pullman, they're electric, they're emotional. We have families that come in on Thursday to RV and tailgate. Um, families rearrange their schedules around uh, Washington State football games. Um, I mean that it's a very unique love affair between fan, alumni, and their institution. Yeah. And there, there's a little bit of difference between Ohio State and Washington State, but you know what? The colors are very close. <laughs> <laughs> Crimson here, not scarlet. Crimson. There you go. Pat Chun. <laughs> Pat Chun, man. Thank you for joining the Tim May Show again, my man. You know you know, you know what esteem I hold you in, my man. I appreciate it, Tim. And always, always great to see you and hear your voice. Always appreciate having Pat Chun on. I uh, converse with him off and on uh, through the years. And... Uh, you know, I've seen him grow uh, physically. I've even seen him grow physically. But uh, just as an athletic director, uh, the trials and tribulations, he went through at his first job at Florida Atlantic and then his next job at uh, at Washington State. And uh, he, I think he does a hell of a job. But, he, you know, he brings up a good point, um, Andy. Andy Backstrom, welcome you back in. Um, the NCAA is – I don't know if this is an inflection point – as you heard me point out in that conversation with Pat, it's like the NCAA, everybody is driven into this traffic circle, but it's got all kinds of exits, you know, and all kinds of cars coming into it from the exits and entrances and stuff. And where's this got whirlpool going to filter out? Who knows? But with the, with the confluence of the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness, which has run amok in some spots, uh, uh, it's, I don't know. It's it's a crazy time, right? You got to adapt. And if you don't, you're going to be left behind. And I think we've seen that with Ryan Day and this football coaching staff at Ohio State. You know, they've realized they can't just rely on their high school recruiting. As good as their high school recruiting is, they've had top five classes every year. Ryan Day has been the head coach and they've had a storied tradition of recruiting at Ohio State. But now part of recruiting is NIL. Now part of recruiting is the transfer portal, not only getting people from the portal, but keeping your guys from going to the portal. And I think we saw this offseason, especially you get six scholarship transfers in the winter and then a few more in the spring. And you're starting to realize, well, hey, this is the most active they've been since yeah. this transfer portal opened. And even programs that seem to be stubborn that, oh, they're never going to really use the portal. Well, Ohio State was one of them. And now they are using the portal. And for good reason, because you really have no choice. Yeah. And, you know, the reason you the, the reason you knew the portal was going to become a big thing is one of the guys who really jumped on it. You know, they can 
you know, no matter how the story goes down, Alabama put out a help wanted list. They wanted a wide receiver that could take the top off of defense uh, going into a season a couple of years ago. And they get Jameson Williams, you know. Uh, oh, he happens to be a guy that can take the top off of defense. He's still not going to be a, uh, a starter at Ohio State. He goes down there and makes a hell of a difference for Alabama, you know, when he was healthy. And and that's Nick Saban, the greatest you got to argue the greatest college football coach of all time, even though he's coaching at the same place where Bear Bryant coached. I mean, as I like to say, he's won all of his championships on the field, not by the vote, you know, of uh, of, uh, of of sports writers and uh, fellow coaches. But I digress. The point I'm making is that this is here to stay. And until there is a lasso put around it somehow, some way, it's going to keep doing – keep going where it's going and it's going to keep expanding in some respects, going different places. I mean, when you, when you put together the collectives, you know, being able to influence even high school players, that was not what was intended. You don't think, but it's, it's okay to do that, you know, in some States. And uh, so that's, that's where it is. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of States until the there's federal legislation. And you saw me hold my breath when Pat, you know, he testified in front of that uh, house subcommittee well, there, there, still nothing has happened. They they were going to do something two or three years ago, and it never happened. The NCAA was waiting, said it was waiting for federal legislation to uh, kind of like put the guardrails on this thing. It never happened. It might never happen. You know, they've got bigger fish to fry on the federal level. It does look like, even though for guys like us that cover sports and for the people who are involved in college sports, it's extremely important uh, to somehow or another get a handle on this. But uh, with that said, you know, we know Ohio State in the last couple of weeks improved itself getting Josh Simmons a right tackle out of San Diego State. We talked about him on one of our Letterman Row uh, podcasts and our videos, and also uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr., son of Lorenzo Styles Sr., who was a standout middle linebacker at Ohio State in the mid-'90s. Uh, I think Ohio State overall, my take is, from a football standpoint, has improved itself on the field, you know, to go with the other guys who had come in earlier. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, when you look on at the paper, transfer oh yeah on paper for sure but when you look at the transfer portal sometimes you're making additions for the immediate future and sometimes you're making additions for the long term and look at josh simmons that's more of the immediate someone that can come in right away and compete for the right tackle starting job with tegra shibola with zim Mahalski. and then you look at lorenzo styles jr and you're thinking that's more of the long term he's going to be making the full-time switch to cornerback at ohio state he had already started that switch at notre dame wants to play defensive back just like his younger brother, Sonny Styles, although he's at safety. And so now, you know, when you look at Lorenzo Styles Jr., you're thinking, okay, he's probably not going to crack that too deep at corner this year. But when you have guys like Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock, who might leave for the NFL, if they have as good of a season as the coaches expect them to have. Well, then you have some holes and, and that's where someone like Lorenzo Styles Jr. can come in handy. Whereas Josh Simmons is more of the immediate hey, can he be that guy for us at right tackle? Yeah, and, you know, Ohio State obviously got some quality, a couple of quality dudes in that cornerback room from the uh, transfer portal when you throw in Davis and Igbenosin, uh, the kid who transferred in, you kid, young man who transferred in from Ole Miss. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's a that's a room that improved big time from the transfer portal, in my opinion. This page. And that's it, it, kind of been Ohio State's M.O. is – don't just go out and grab anybody, you know, like a, like the like the uh, what I call it the lottery, the Ohio lottery cash machine, where you're just in there grabbing uh, dollar bills as they fly around. 
make sure this person, because it's important to that person be a contributor, I do believe, in some form or fashion, if not as a player immediately as a in some kind of leadership fashion or not rocking the boat. And we saw Jihad Carter, they went out and got him. And of course, then he got hurt, the uh, safety from uh, Syracuse. And uh, he got hurt in, in spring ball. We'll see what his status is uh, uh, before the season. But, you know, they have attempted to improve themselves at deep snapper, at kicker. Uh, pretty pinpoint kind of uh, instead of like a an om, omniscient kind of look, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at Jihad Carter, just what you're saying, that's another guy that comes in. He's not assuming he's going to get the starting job. And when you've started three seasons at Syracuse, many would seem to look at that situation and say, well, he's going to slot in as a starter. Well, when he talked to the media this spring, it was the opposite of that. It's, I know what I'm coming into. I have to earn my stripe here. Quite literally, you have to shed your black stripe. He's still working and even though he got kind of short-circuited this spring with that injury he still seems to have the right head on his shoulders and they're looking for these guys to not only compete for starting jobs but drive others that maybe are in line to start those positions look at cam martinez has had a breakout spring well who knows if cam martinez would have played as well as he did this spring if you don't bring in someone like jihad carter to compete for that nicholas spot so sometimes you're just trying to find players that can compete but also you're trying to drive the players that you already have so they can get to that next level yeah and of course Ohio State lost two uh two players from its wide receiver core two highly regarded players this time a year ago the two Caleb's as I called them uh Caleb Brown and Caleb Burton and they've moved on uh but as you we talked about on another Letterman Row podcast um you know the competition in that room did not suffer I don't think I mean and it's only you know Brandon Ennis shows up and who knows where that's going. I mean, when you saw Cardell Tate and Noah Rogers and what they did as uh right. And, and the other kid, uh, the Rogers kid, the other Rogers kid, uh, what they did in the, uh, in the spring as freshmen, just showing up. I mean, you know, the pressure was on the, those second year guys to make a move because we know who's going to be the starters barring injury. Uh, but uh, that wide receiver room, has just gotten better. Hey, let's move on to, uh, do you agree with me on that? I mean, what, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree. I think the writing was on the wall a little bit when you bring in such a talented group like the 2023 class with the wide receivers. It's almost like, well, it's inevitable. Someone's going to get pushed out and it's a good problem to have. Right. I mean, you've got three wide receivers going the first round in the last two years. If you're Brian Hartline, you you might have a couple more. He believes three more next year with Julian Fleming, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka. Eventually, you're going to have guys that just don't make that cut. It doesn't mean they're not talented. I mean, Caleb Brown landing at Iowa. I think that's a really good spot for him. Iowa is trying to have some kind of resurgence on offense to catch up with that defense. You bring in Cade McNamara from Michigan. I know a lot of Ohio State fans don't like to root for anyone from Michigan, but he does have, you know, an interesting chance there at Iowa and pairing him with Caleb Brown is an opportunity for at least more production than he probably would have gotten at Ohio State. I agree hundred percent. That's one of the, that's one of the overlooked, by the way, transfers that has happened in, in this off season is Cade McNamara. Well, he, he did it pretty quickly right after the season was over, but Cade McNamara going to Iowa, because we both know you or I probably could have thrown better passes than the Iowa quarterbacks last year if we didn't get killed while we were tempting. You agree with that? That was that was hard to watch, right? Yeah, Iowa quarterback. And Cade McNamara, he led Michigan finally to a win over Ohio State two years ago and finally to a Big Ten championship and into the uh, college football playoffs. So, and he thought he was going to be the starting quarterback at Michigan this year. I remember talking to him about it 
at the uh, Big Ten meetings in July, and he he saw no reason why he wasn't going to be the starter. Heck, he was at the Big Ten meetings, right? Boom. You know, life moves on. J.J. McCarthy becomes the guy, but uh, he's a quality quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. that The Big Ten landscape, certainly interesting. I, I feel like it could be a little bit more competitive than maybe in years past in terms of those fringe teams that always feel like they're around the Big Ten championship but don't really hold a chance in that title game. I'm, I'm certainly interested to see the, what the Penn States and the Iowas can do next yeah. season. And also, hey, Nebraska, Matt Rule is a big-time coach, big-time college coach, not a big-time NFL coach, obviously. And then uh, Luke Fickle at uh, Wisconsin, kind of redoing Wisconsin – I've talked about that on a couple of podcasts, but I'm very curious to see what happens uh, at both of those schools because now they got guys in charge that you know they know what they're doing because they've done it elsewhere. Um, with that said, Scott Frost did it elsewhere too. But <laughs> So I kind of stepped on my own toes as I backpedaled into that zone coverage and uh, the guy ran right by me. Uh, but but I digress. I'm, I'm not going to say that anymore, this, this podcast, uh, That but I digress part. Real quickly with you, that's what I want you on for uh, Ohio State men's basketball. Three transfer portal guys last year, three new ones this year. The three new ones this year are who? And have have the Buckeyes improved themselves because we thought they had kind of hit the sweet spot this time a year ago. Yeah, so they're bringing in Jamison Battle from Minnesota. He's a forward, a grad transfer, so only one year of eligibility remaining. Also only one year of eligibility remaining for Dale Bonner, who is a guard grad transfer from Baylor. This would actually be his sixth season of college basketball. And then a little bit more of that long-term view, as we talked about with the football team, they're also bringing in Evan Mahaffey from Penn State, a guard who's a sophomore. And we'll kind of cushion this big sophomore class or soon-to-be sophomore class of Ohio State core players that they're going to try to build upon and actually get somewhat of a team they can make a push in the NCAA tournament. It was kind of a pivot with Gene Smith and Chris Holtman. Instead of just trying to make the tournament and trying to buoy maybe a first round or a second round appearance in the NCAA tournament, they're trying to build this to actually make a push to reach the Sweet 16, to reach the Elite Eight, the Final Four, contend for a national championship. And they kind of met together and, and really decided that maybe they needed to take a step back to take two steps forward. And that's kind of what we saw last year. Now, no one thought it was going to be as bad as it was last year, losing 14 out of 15 games between January and February. But here we are here with these three new transfers they're bringing in. And, and of the three, the name to know is certainly Jameson Battle. I mean, he was a star from Minnesota, which Minnesota didn't have a lot of talent, but he was really their star player the last couple of seasons and where he helps them the most is three-point shooting. I mean, he's averaged over two, three-pointers per game throughout his career. He started at George Washington, spent two years there, then went to Minnesota. Um, not this past season, but the season before that, he averaged more than 17 points per game. Numbers were a little bit down this season just because of some injury problems he had, but really can shoot it well from beyond the arc. Uh, has a pretty good Elbow jumper, can hit a floater as well, get inside, but he's certainly more of an outside shooter. And they need that after losing Sean McNeil and, and Bryce Sensabaugh. Yeah, somebody put it in the bucket when it matters. Right. I just gave you the secret to basketball. Naismith, that was his <laughs> idea. Hit the peach basket, men or boys or whoever was shooting at the peach basket. But, but coach, why'd you put it 10 feet off the floor? Well, just to make it difficult. Anybody can hit it from five feet. You know, you'd be – Everybody'd be dunking. I'm just giving you a little bit of history of basketball. How it came to be the sport that you love, Andy Baxter. And you definitely do like basketball, don't you? 
Oh, I love basketball for sure. Yeah. I think that the season goes a little bit too long. If you ask me, like starting in November, I wish they just pushed it to when football season ended for us too. It'd be easier covering both. But I also think that some of those non-conference games are a little bit murky of, you know, just doesn't feel like all the programs are where they need to be in terms of just readiness. But once you hit conference play, there's not much of better sports to watch than college basketball. I mean, anyone can win on any day. And as we can see from last season, even the most storied programs can have setback seasons. Yeah. And I, I think anybody, I, real quickly, I, I think a conference championship in basketball is still a very valuable thing to have on your resume because, like you just said, it's a one and done once you get into the NCAA. Anything can happen. A team can get hot. They can be shooting from three, and boom, you're gone. And to, to think that, boy, that season was a was a loss is just, you know, to me it's, you know, it's just – I mean, I think last year's final – this past season's final four showed you just how teams can get hot and upset the apple cart. And I guarantee you there are a lot of teams around the country, big-time blue bloods, who didn't like seeing that final four. You know what I mean? Agreed? Yeah, I mean, look at Purdue. They won the Big Ten. They have the AP National Player of the Year and Zach Eady. Dominant throughout the entire season. Beat Ohio State twice. I mean, and then you look at – you go into the NCAA tournament, you lose the first round. You're one of you're the second team ever to lose to a 16 seed. And yeah. all of a sudden, everyone's calling for Matt Painter's job. And they're saying it was a failure of a season. And you look back, well, hey, they won the conference championship. They had the National Player of the Year. And Purdue has routinely had regular season success, but yeah, it makes it a very high pressure cook situation. And Chris Holtman has kind of talked about how there's some similarities between, you know, the college football playoff and the NCAA tournament, obviously one's 68 teams and, and one is four teams, but he said he's had conversations with Ryan day about how the pressure comes with that. You can have a successful regular season. And if you lose to Michigan or you lose, you know, at the doorstep of the national championship, none of it, none of it matters. You know, yeah. regardless yeah. of what else you did, same thing yeah. with the NCAA tournament, you could be a contender for the Big Ten title. They were in the Big Ten championship just a few years ago. They didn't win it, but they were there. And then if you don't make a run to the Sweet 16 or better, everyone's questioning, well, what are we doing this for? And it can be really hard on the players who have put their whole time into the season. It can be really hard on the coaches who were right there all along. And I think that's, you know, that's the beauty, but also the agony of college sports, right? Yeah. You know, you, you can do so much, but so little at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of stupid to judge things on the, the creme de la creme accomplishment or you lose, you know what I mean? I mean, I just, there, there will be all kinds of ways uh, where you, where you not entertained, you know, as a uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius once said, you know, are you, uh, so, uh, you know, I just, uh, but, but, but obviously when Ohio State went one in 15 during that one slump, not many people were entertained, I think, going to those games. What do you think? From, yeah, but from the Ohio State standpoint. Right. On the bright side, though, they did finish the season on a high note, which is really important for yes. the program. They, they won five of their last seven games. They became the lowest seed in Big Ten tournament history to make the semifinals. And they really challenged Purdue in that first half of that game. Just was a little gassed at that point, playing their fourth game in four days. But if you look at this team, there's a lot to be optimistic about. You, you bring back three to be sophomores and Bruce Thornton, Roddy Gale Jr. and Felix Akpara, who feel like pieces that you can build, you know, a potential elite eight final four team around. And that's not really a stretch. I mean, Bruce Thornton was promoted to captain mid season. He showed great talent towards the end of the season, especially he can shoot it really well and just commands 
the room as a leader really well. Roddy yeah. Gale Jr. caught fire in that Big Ten tournament, was 9 of 11 from 3 yeah. during that stretch. And then Felix Akpara played more than anyone really expected him to because Zed Key got hurt last year. And they're feeling really, really positive about his development. They just want him to get in the weight room a little bit, add some more weight, so he can hold his own against some of those Big Ten bigs. But otherwise, that's a really promising core. And then you're bringing in another top 15 recruiting class of four more players this year of incoming freshmen. And you look at some players like Scotty Milton and, and Devin Royal, and those are a couple of wings that could make an impact right from the jump. Um, and even Tyson Chapman, is, as well as a good ball handler that might use. Austin Parks is probably the one. He's outside the top 70. The, the rest of them are in the top 70 in terms of on three's final recruiting rankings. But Austin Parks is probably the one that they'll have sit back a little bit and watch and learn from Felix Akpara and Zed Key. But still, you're looking at a core that, that's really promising. And then you add in these transfers. And you're right. You mentioned at the beginning last year, there was similar talk about the transfers they added. And they just didn't hit. I mean, Sean McNeil probably was the one of the three that held up his end of the bargain in terms of production on paper. Isaac Likely was a nice leader. Tanner Holden had a nice moment against Rutgers. But overall, the production wasn't what was expected. So you never quite know with these transfers. But I think that, you know, you just got a chance at every year. You can only know so much. It's the same thing with football. Yeah. You know, all you know is, is what you have, what you see on the film, more than what you see on paper, really, and, and how you think they fit in. And I will say that I think these players fit in pretty well. They needed a wing after losing Justice Suing and Bryce Sensabaugh to the NBA draft. And, you know, Jameson Battle is a wing that they can use. He's another lefty. Um, you know, he's not going to slice into the paint like Justice Suing, but he can shoot the ball really well. And then if you're looking for help for Bruce Thornton, to carry the load as the point guard, Dale Bonner is someone that played behind two really talented guards in Baylor. And he he's used to coming off the bench and playing that reserve role. And he's a great defender too, um, in terms of creating steals and, and also assists on the other end. So I think the additions made sense. Um, there's some positional flexibility in there, which Chris Holman really likes, especially on the defensive end of the floor. There's some more shooting in there and, and there's some veteran leadership in there too, which they were looking for. Yeah, I remember I was on a teleconference with uh, Holtman. I can't remember when it was, but uh, I asked him that question about, you know, you have this, you don't really know what kind of team you got. You know, you've got talented. This was like a year or so ago, but, you know, until people show up and guys start playing together, you know, you want to kind of have a vision. Uh, like like Ryan Day right now kind of has a vision where his offense, what his offense is going to be about, you know, and really defensively what his defense is going to be about. He can enhance it, you know. Uh but like right now, you don't know which five are going to click for you, uh, which two, three, four, how deep do you go on the bench? You know, because we all know freshmen, for example, get the seven, I call it instead of the seven-year itch, they get the seven-week itch if they're not mm -hmm. playing and they're highly touted. They want to be, <clears throat> and if they don't see things happening the way they should be happening on the floor, well, why am I not getting a shot, so to speak? Um, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic coaching a college basketball team, because like you said, there's no, I don't think there's no, there's any lack of talent on Ohio state's roster. Now it's more of how do you make it work? What's your vision of how this team is going to come together. And, but then boom, one guy gets hurt. Then the next guy gets hurt. Then, then you know what I mean? Some guy, some guy that gets sick and thinks the apple cart just gets flipped upside down. And it's, it's really so much more difficult than it looks from our vantage point. Right. Yeah, I mean, things were really dicey last year in that stretch of January and February. And I think 
people don't give Chris Holman and his staff enough credit for holding it together. Things yeah. could have been way worse if they had not had that turnaround at the end of the season. Well, then you're looking at who transfers out. You know, you might not only lose Bryce Sensabaugh of the NBA draft, but you could talk about some of those pieces that we've mentioned, whether it was Roddy Gale or Felix Akpara or Bruce Thornton. I'm not suggesting that they were close to transferring, but you never know with guys nowadays. It could take one day, a bad day, a bad week. And then again, you're looking at a, a roster that looks completely unrecognizable than the year before because things fell apart. And right. so to have that turnaround, to have Bruce Thornton become a captain and be able to step up, to have Roddy Yale catch fire in the Big Ten tournament, to have Felix Akpara gain some confidence down at the five, I think all of that was so important and critical to just keeping guys in place, which is almost harder than getting guys to join the program at, yeah. at this day and age. And I think that, you know, a lot of people want to point to, well, hey, they missed the NCAA tournament. I get that. There's a standard at Ohio State. But there needs to be an appreciation for at least it could have been a lot worse. And you're seeing that for programs across the country, even programs that were considered to be a guarantee or a lock for the NCAA tournament. Pretty much every program is dealing with some sort of adversity. Maybe it's a year off. Maybe it's two years that are a setback. But I do think that Gene Smith and Chris Holman do have a plan. I'm interested to see how it pans out this year because this is a, a really important year for, for just the program in general to make it back, but not only make it back, but make somewhat of a run in yeah. March. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. I remember asking, uh, talking with Ryan Day after Ohio State, you know, got way behind against Utah in the Rose Bowl. You know, a lot of programs, you know, the tents would have been folded and already on the truck by the end of the game. Uh, but instead, Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and even the defense – in the second half stepped up and just one of the great memories in Ohio state football, that game should be that come from behind, but what it, what you saw was the heart of a team, you know what I mean? A program really. And same way with Holtman and those guys at the end of the year, last year in the, in the big 10 tournament, you saw the heart, man. Uh, Ohio state is no joke. You know, if it can get his act together as bad as things were, you know, they made a run until they basically, in essence, ran out of gas, and they did run out of gas. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that. I mean, Thornton was just playing his rear end off. And uh, there was a guy that I wasn't that impressed with middle of uh, – in January and February, and then all of a sudden, man, he became he became the guy, you know, in my opinion, part of the main reason of why they made their run there in the tournament. And you're right. I mean, you don't know about somebody's heart until they show it to you. And I thought the program showed its heart last year. Yeah, and little things happen in a season that allow other players to step up with the football team. You mentioned 21, uh, 21 season. You're talking about the Rose Bowl, and you don't have the receivers step in and play that game with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Well, they're not playing. Then you have Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. having their coming out party. Well, same thing for the basketball team, I felt like, in the Big Ten tournament. You know, Zed Key is out, but you have Felix Akpara really earning his stripes down low. Yeah. You've got... Bryce Sensiball, who gets hurt in the tournament and he can't play the last couple of games. And then you have Bruce Thornton really emerging as kind of the go-to option offensively. And, you know, Roddy Gale as well. And I think that's just kind of the beauty of these programs. When you got talent in, sometimes all it takes is what seems to be a curse, some kind of injury, some kind of opt-out, some kind of roadblock, and then someone else steps up and that ends up giving birth to some kind of optimism for the next season. Yeah. And believe me, coaches pay big attention to who steps up when the chips are down. They and that's a cliche, may, may, but it is so true about there are guys who 
want to win, man. You know what I mean? And uh, have the talent to make it happen if given a shot. And it's so key for those guys, like you said, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka in the Rose Bowl. They could have shot away. You know, we, we all knew Marvin Harrison Jr. had the wherewithal, but was he going to get the opportunity? And then given the opportunity, was it were the bright lights going to, you know, blind him? No, they did not. You know, obviously, Jackson Smith and Jigba had the game everybody was talking about. But, boy, what a coming out party. And now, you know, you got like – you know, Urban Meyer on like this Urban's take thing I do with him. You know, he thinks Marvin Harrison Jr. might be overall the best football player in the country this coming year, should be in the running for the Heisman Trophy. And uh, you're right. I mean, those guys that stepped up for Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament uh, basketball-wise, I mean, Chris Holtman's not going to forget those guys. I mean, they could be the heart and soul of your team, right? Yeah, certainly. And can't forget the other guys that helped them along the way, even to Justice Suing. Might not go down in Ohio State history for anything in particular, but helped usher in that talent towards the end of that stretch. Didn't check out at any point, yep. you know, when he could have. And, you know, there were certainly struggles last year, but at the end of the day, when it mattered most, they got the glue together and, and made something happen at the very end of the season. And it, they're going to need to be on their A game the start of next season because their non-conference schedule is looking a little bit stiffer than maybe may usual. I mean, they had some tough opponents in the Maui Invitational last year, but they're going to have some marquee games around Ohio, which we didn't really see last year in the non-conference stretch. They're going to have a game against Texas A&M on November 10th, I believe, and that's a top 20 team probably coming in to the Schottenstein Center. And then you're also going to have a game in Cleveland, probably where the Cavs play. They haven't announced it yet, but you know, it's looking like it's going to be there again. They're going to be playing West Virginia in a neutral site game, neutral site, but it's really a home game for Ohio State fans to get to yeah. Cleveland for that. And, yeah. you know, there's some early season tournaments that are going to happen as well, but chances to stack some some really good wins for the RPI, strength schedule, build out that resume. And there is pressure. There's Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of pressure on this program to make it back and not only make it back, but actually make some noise. But I think they they have the confidence, especially after the way they ended things last year, that they can make a run. Yeah, that's funny what you said about that possible home home court advantage. And when they play in Cleveland, I mean, that was like the old line that uh, that's like playing Notre Dame in Rome. <laughs> so we'll see, man. We'll see where it goes. Hey, uh, Andy Backstrom, appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, Ohio State basketball doesn't get a whole lot of shrift sometimes when things go poorly. But uh, anybody has to be heartened by the way that team finished the season last year with their heart on a platter. And and then, uh, like you said, Chris Holtman appears to have improved his team through the transfer portal, certainly through the recruiting ranks, if the recruiting rankings are to be taken seriously. So uh, thanks once again for coming on the Tim May Show, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Love talking hoops at all times. and uh, Happy to be here. Or as one of my buddies uh, growing up called it, Thump Thump. Although there's hardly ever any dri- – well, no, I think dribbling has come back to basketball a little bit, don't you? Guys oh. dribbling out of uh, out of situations, out of tough defenses. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's being embraced a little bit more. What do you think? You need a good handle. I mean, Ohio State needs good passing as well. Their assist rate was quite down last year, and breaking the press was a problem. But, yeah, dribbling is, is huge. That's where yeah. Bruce Thornton, Dale Bonner, and the rest of them come in handy. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back one of these days, and we'll – maybe before the season next year and talk about Ohio State's – I've never been – anyway, we'll, we'll get into – Ohio State's uh, approach to offense, I guess, is the best way of putting it on the on the basketball court. I've, I've rarely been really impressed by it over the last many years. So we'll talk about whether those things may be changing. But uh, 
but Andy Backstrom, thanks once again for joining the Tim May Show, my man. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate and, it. And until next week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.